You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome. Welcome to Fired Up, right here on WJMS Radio. And now, newly launched on our partner station, Double Mint Radio, coming out of Edinburgh, Scotland, in the UK. So we want to welcome all of our listeners there, and... uh, Welcome to the family. Welcome to Fire It Up Radio Politics Talk. My name is Steve. I host the show each week. And what we do here to uh, give you kind of a background since you guys are new to Fired Up and to content coming from WJMS in general. On this show, we focus on the mechanics of politics here in the United States. And what that means is uh, I don't go into deep discussions on the individuals, you know, unless they are, you know, directly relevant to the subject at hand. So, you know, if you're expecting to hear, you know, deep dives into what the latest thing that Donald Trump is doing or Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi or, you know, any of the players out there, uh, that's not really what this show is about. What we talk about are the things that impact the voting process and the exercise of that right here in the United States. Um, as we, you know, delve further now into our partnership with Double Mint Radio, uh, we'll begin to be doing research on, you know, similar uh, mechanics and things behind the scenes in the UK. But for right now, I've got a learning curve to work up with uh, for you guys. So uh, you're you're going to get uh, a pretty American-focused uh, dialogue. Uh, for at least, uh, you know, this show and, and maybe a, a couple more. But as I said, as I get more and more uh, in-depth with UK politics and, and what goes on over there, uh, we'll include topics that are, are specific to you in the UK and, and beyond into the broader continent of Europe. So, you know, with that being said, again, uh, I welcome you to the show. Uh, let me give you a little bit of contact information so that you know how you can get in touch with uh, the show here. Uh, we have an email address, and it is firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, you can send questions, comments, criticisms, suggestions, all of that to the show. Uh, I, I read all the emails, and I will respond. And who knows, we may end up doing a show segment on something that you bring up. So the invitation is out there for all of you all coming to us now through the Double Mint Radio uh, channel. Uh, we are very excited to be partnered with you. Uh, we are you know, looking forward to, to very big things in our partnership with WJMS and Double Mint Radio. Kudos and shout out to the uh, WJMS and Double Mint team for putting this together. And, you know, it, it's going to be exciting, you know, as it, as I said, as it gets more and more uh, involved with politics on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, there's going to be some interesting discussions. I can feel it. So welcome aboard. Uh, as I said, you know, this is a show about the mechanics, the internals, the things that go on behind the curtains in politics, particularly right now over here uh, in America. But going forward, I look forward to learning more and expanding the reach into the politics over there in the UK, which are drastically different than here in the US. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that over the coming weeks and months as we continue this journey together. 
So the uh, next topic I want to bring up here, and you know, it, it's been a busy political week, as all the weeks have in the in the year of 2020. Um, but most importantly, we finally uh, got the announcement we've been waiting for, uh, and that is who would uh, presumptive presidential candidate from the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, pick for his running mate for vice president. Well, the curtain was pulled back on that this week, and that person is California Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, she is, as I said, she is a sitting senator in California and uh, has been an outspoken figure in the American political scene over the last uh, few years, particularly as she was a candidate herself during the primary process for the uh, nomination to be uh, the Democratic standard bearer for the presidential race. Uh, now she is standing up next to Joe Biden, and they have already begun their, their rounds of virtual uh, interviews and virtual presentations. And in fact, as we speak today, uh, as it is Monday, the Democratic Convention uh, has officially kicked off. Uh, this show is being recorded uh, the weekend prior to that, so I don't have a whole lot of hard information on what transpired or is going on with the convention but as I get that information I will will roll it up and we'll present it out in a summary form in next week's show uh, where we'll talk on the Democratic uh, convention what came out of it what were some of the keynote events what is the platform you know how is it going to shape up and you know maybe even get into some things that deal with you know, how this is going to uh, play its role in the election process as, you know, still being under the COVID pandemic, you know, the, the idea of holding large rallies in big stadiums and, and uh, amphitheaters and the like uh, isn't happening. So everything is being done in a virtual format unless there is a very small group of people present in the venue. And uh, we'll see how that changes. The convention process has always been kind of that starter's pistol for the final sprint to the, the election by both parties here in the U.S. And, you know, both parties, you know, have scaled back or eliminated their physical conventions and gone instead for the virtual model. So it will, it will remain to be seen how that's going to play into the launch and, and run of the campaign process for uh, the offices here in the United States. And again, for our, our new friends over in the UK, uh, if you're not familiar with how you know, our political process works, uh, we have obviously a presidential and vice presidential uh, battle going on, but we also have uh, many members of the Senate and the House of Representatives at the federal level who are, are standing up for re-election uh, on the same day. And included with that is a substantial down-ballot ticket as we get into the states and the, the counties and the local governments all the way down to you know the city and town level. So there is a huge amount of importance that is being placed on these pre presidential election cycles uh, as it is more than just the top of the ticket that uh, is important. Uh, there are things like ballot uh, initiatives and questions 
that the voting uh, public uh, answers through the, the electoral process. And these also are elements that we will bring up and discuss as we move through the last uh, 84, 82 days until the November election. We are definitely, you know, starting off at a fast pace and heading right almost directly into the home stretch here. So it, it's going to be an exciting time. Again, welcome to all of our listeners coming through from Double Mint Radio. We are really thrilled uh, for the opportunity to present uh, our show as well as all of the content that WJMS has to offer uh, on your platform, and we're looking for great things. A again, reminder, if you have questions or comments, the email address is firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, I do tweet out information from the Twitter page for the show, which is at A-R-E. U F I R E D U P. So that's at R U Fired Up on Twitter. So, you know, definitely please uh, give us a follow on Facebook and a like and give us, you know, a follow as well on Twitter. You can follow WJMS Radio uh, as well on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just search for WJMS Radio. And uh, again, welcome. We'll be following Double Mint and all of the Double Mint pages as well. So hopefully we can generate a really healthy and interesting and fascinating dialogue as we pursue our new relationship. So thanks for listening and welcome aboard. And let's get right into uh, the rest of the show as we do each week. Um, each week I, I start off the show with the latest uh, COVID counts here in the U.S., and this week we will start with uh, our counts for the UK as well. Um, so in the US here, our total number of recorded uh, cases of COVID-19 is 5.4 million. And we have more than 170,000 people uh, who have uh, died as a result of COVID uh, virus. Over in the UK, you guys have 318,000 uh, cases confirmed and 41.3 thousand deaths attributed to COVID-19. So you're you're uh, way way lower than we are, even even given the difference in our population sizes. Um, you know there there's clearly evidence that many things in the UK that were done have not been done here in the U.S. And we've talked about this in prior shows. Uh, speaking of prior shows. Uh, we also have a, an archive uh, site where you can hear not only all of the past shows here on Fire It Up, but all of the WJMS talk shows uh, have archived in an, in an on-demand format. And that site is reachable through our WJMS radio website. And uh, you can find archived podcasts from WJMS uh at uh, the TuneIn app, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, just go into those or, or any of your podcast sources and search for WJMS Radio. And you'll find us, and you can then go in and check our lineup of shows. Uh, we have shows occurring all throughout the week, uh, obviously with a time difference. Some of them are, you know, either very early in the morning or very late at night. 
Uh, for example, you know, this show is airing at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time here in the U.S., which is actually 10.30 p.m. British Time over in the U.K. So, you know, it, it, it's a different time frame. We'll try and keep you up to date with that. Uh, but please make sure you, you access our on-demand services so that you can stay in touch, learn, and pick up on prior episodes of our shows gonna get into you know the news of the week uh, as I was saying the vice presidential pick has been named and that is California Senator Kamala Harris and uh, she is joining uh, former vice president and presumptive uh, Democratic nominee uh, Joe Biden hopefully if everything goes to plan uh, that will change to the Democratic nominee for president and for vice president as of the convention that's occurring this week uh, in a virtual fashion. So, you know, there's a lot going on. As I said, we will keep you up to date and posted on what comes out of the convention in next week's show. Um, but we are, we are excitedly looking forward to following that. I'm going to be glued to uh, some form of media uh, pretty much 24-7 throughout this week, gaining as much information as possible about what's going on here in the U.S. In, in addition to that, um, you know, it, it is clear that, you know, now that the battle lines have been drawn, uh, now we're starting to see here in this country uh, the ad strategies of both the Democrat and Republican sides of the, of the debate. And clearly, uh, as in, you know, immediate prior elections going back over the last uh, 15 or 20 or more years, clearly negative ads uh, look like they are going to rule the day particularly on the Republican side, but more so, and this is important to note, um, there have been a lot of uh, negative ads coming out against the incumbent president uh, by uh, surrogates for the Democratic uh, candidates, not necessarily the candidates themselves, but there are some PAC-fed ads and some, some corporate-sponsored ads and others that are coming out with you know, specific points on both sides that are, are not necessarily directly coming from the campaigns themselves, even though they are, you know, endorsed and supported uh, by the campaign as being representative of positions they hold. So, you know, it, it, it's that season again here in the U.S. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to learn how it works over in the U.K., but I'm pretty much sure that from what I've heard in the news, uh, prior that it runs in a similar fashion over there that you know there are you know campaign related ads as well as you know surrogate and supported ads that uh, speak to one side or another side of, of the position of the day so you know we will we will look into that as well in in upcoming shows as we uh, do the run-up to the November election uh, as I said, I, I tend to try not to include uh, individuals in the conversation. I really try to focus this show on the mechanics and what goes on and how the political system works or doesn't work here in the U.S. And we're going to talk more about that in the second half of the show uh, with regard to what's going on with our, our United States Postal Service here along with some other things that, that we see happening and some other uh, key elements that look like they are going to dictate how and what shape the vote is going to take 
this election season. So, you know, it, it, is, it is clear that the, the status quo of, you know, throwing mud from one side to the other, uh, even here in the 21st century where the mud is now digital and virtual, uh, still is a thing as we do politics here in the U.S. So, you know, uh, among that is, you know, there are ads that are, are being run in opposition to the incumbent president uh, by a group called the Lincoln Project, which is, you know, in, in my kind of watching, you know, the, the electoral history over the past, you know, 10 or 20 years, uh, this looks like one of the best organized, best funded, uh, most cohesive uh, anti-candidate uh, ad campaigns and, and more that I have seen in, in many uh, an election cycle. Um, the Lincoln Project, just to give you a background on it, is actually a Republican-based uh, group that is opposed to the current president of the United States and is comprised of and was founded by eight of the top political Republican advisors and strategists uh, going back over the last 30 years in politics uh, to, to really sharply focus a, a concern and a worry that you know, what the current administration has been doing and is doing is really fundamentally damaging to our country, to our political process, and you know, to our, our liberties and freedoms here in the U.S. Uh, and they have been running some very, very uh, tightly focused and to the point ads that actually seem to be taking more and more of a hold, a foothold, you know, in the, the public sphere here. And, you know, it, it's clear if you go to their website, you know, and, and read up on the Lincoln Project, uh, they are looking to convince persuadable uh, Republican and, you know, conservative and, and to the right of, of moderate uh, independents uh, to vote uh, Donald Trump out of office. Um, you know, it, it isn't as much as a support Biden movement as it is really an anti-president and anti-Republican movement. They are looking at, you know, what has become the problem in, in governing here in the U.S. is the level of pure partisanship that is going on in our electoral process, in our governing process, in pretty much every you know aspect of the the uh, political and economic and social scene here in the United States. So their focus, you know, while they will run ads against specific people, whether it's you know a Mitch McConnell or a Donald Trump uh, or you know a, another Republican here or you know senator there or whatever. Uh, they are really uh, against the people that they believe have taken the Republican Party over and have steered it into an extremely dangerous direction that, you know, in, in, in many opinions, even outside of the Lincoln Project, 
there is the belief that you know the this upcoming election might be so devastating to the Republican Party as to relegate it to a minority status for you know several decades to come, and you know the the effectiveness of these ads cannot be understated. Uh, they have you know clearly struck a nerve with the campaign leadership for the Republican side and you know with several of the candidates in particular including you know the the current president and you know there seems to be a large effect that these ads are having uh, while it's still too soon to tell if they are going to be a key turning factor uh, it is clear that their influence and the the message that they are putting out there is growing and is gaining traction and is something that has the Republican leadership very concerned. So we'll keep an eye on the Lincoln Project, among others, uh, and see how that progresses. Uh, I will, you know, do more research into them, and we'll we'll do a deep dive into, you know, just who they are and and what it is they seek to accomplish in an upcoming show. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the research and I'm looking forward to bringing the results to you. So we'll, we'll take our first break here uh, a little bit earlier than normal, but I want to give as much time as possible to the second half conversation that we're going to have. So we'll be right back after the brief break. And you're listening to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMS. And now on Double Mint Radio coming out of the UK, we'll be right back after the break. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all that you're doing to help everyone in this country make their voices heard in this year's election and in every election. Your work has never been more important. From the ongoing pandemic to the passion and protests we've seen for racial and social justice, it's clear that we're in the middle of a big moment in this country. And that means we need leadership that honestly reflects who we are and what we stand for. Our job between now and November is to make sure everyone we know understands that the power to make change rests on our ability to cast a vote. Fair and safe voting is gonna be more important than ever this year. And that's why When We All Vote is fighting to expand vote by mail, in-person early voting, and online voter registration. Now I'm gonna be honest, we're really gonna need your help to make these efforts a success. Luckily, the first step is an easy one. Just spread the word. Make sure your friends, families, and communities are registered, know their rights, and are fully prepared to vote by mail this year or vote early in person. So go to whenweallvote.org to find out more and get yourselves, your families, and your friends ready to make their voices heard. Let's get more folks across the country trained with the tools, the resources, and the information they'll need to vote because this election couldn't be more important. The preceding message was presented in the public interest as a public service by your friends here at WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. Yes, my eyes and I can see the world that's waiting up for me that I call my own. 
And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com and DoublemintRadio.com. And once again, welcome to our new listeners in the UK. Uh, we're happy that you're joining us, and hopefully, you know, this will be the start of a long and beautiful friendship. So, wanted to pick up with where we left off in the first segment. Um, you know, in this country here in the U.S., you have likely heard, even you know, a- across the ocean, of some of the the protests and you know objections that are being raised. Uh, to voter suppression tactics that are being implemented here in the U.S., particularly targeting you know people of color and poor people and independent and Native American peoples, uh, with the express intention of you know restricting or limiting the number of votes that can be cast uh, opposing the Republican ticket, and uh, this is this is nothing new. Uh, to give you a little bit of history. Uh, shortly after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1865, uh, voter suppression tactics uh, began to take shape as more and more uh, formerly enslaved people uh, began to try and exercise their rights uh, as citizens of the United States. And, uh, you know, in opposition to that, there were many tactics that were applied uh, these included such things as poll taxes or being required to pay money in order to vote, uh, or there would be, you know, the need to, you know, determine the number of jelly beans in a jar sitting on the table at the polling place, or to recite the, you know, preamble and, and first few sections of the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. All of these tests designed to exclude people who prior to that had had very limited exposure to reading and writing and history and other elements uh, in order to disqualify them from being able to vote. Uh, This carried through for more than a hundred years and uh, even, you know, led to the creation in in the 1960s of something called the Southern Strategy. And we talked about this here on this show. It was one of the first subjects that we brought up uh, because it, it forms such a foundational basis for what we see today in terms of the, the modern approaches to voter suppression that are happening here in the U.S. Um, you know, there have been you know, a resurgence in uh, poll taxes, particularly where uh, you know, formal, former felons who have paid their debt to society and are thereby, uh, according to the, the rules in our Constitution, are thereby allowed to have certain of their rights reinstated, including the right to vote. And uh, there have been several cases in several states, particularly in the South, where you know, new forms of, of poll taxes have been implemented. Uh, this occurred in Florida, where you know, shortly after the legislation passed to restore the voting rights of uh, formerly convicted felons who have, pl- who have paid their debt to society uh, to add the caveat that they need to make sure they have repaid any fines or fees or restitution that they were ordered to pay. Uh, this was struck down as an illegal poll tax, but it you know, was just one in a latest string of tactics that are being used in order to you know, disenfranchise many people 
from their right to vote. Uh, in, in addition, you know, there have been cases throughout the country, again, particularly in the South and in the Southwest, where, you know, large numbers of polling places have been closed or relocated into, you know, difficult to access locations, such as ones that are not served by bus lines. There has been ongoing battles with regard to early voting where efforts have been, been attempted to either eliminate or severely restrict uh, early voting or same-day registration, uh, other, other tactics that serve to increase the number of people who can uh, avail themselves of our you know, fundamental right to vote here in this country. And, you know, uh, of late, you know, the, the, the early versions of these uh, were often done, you know, kind of very low-key, very behind the scenes or, or in the shadows. That has changed in recent uh, election cycles where many voter suppression tactics have actually uh, moved out into the broad light of day and are being done out in the open. And, uh, you know, these include, as I stated, uh, relocation of polling places, uh, you know, partly due to the increased presence of, you know, media and social media uh, to record these events as they happen. But, you know, these have very much become, you know, a brazen attempt to limit the number of opposition voters for the current political party in power here in this country. And that's not to say that, you know, there haven't been instances where, you know, the, the party out of power has implemented some strategies, but it clearly favors, you know, the, the Republicans in this election cycle. Uh, and, and something to keep in mind, and just to kind of give you, you know, a little bit of numerical background, uh, as of the 2018 uh, election, uh, the Republican and Democratic uh, votes, that is, the people who were registered to vote and the people who voted, actually balanced themselves out at about 28% of the overall uh, active voters in the country. The largest block of active voters is actually the independent group, which comprises about 41% of the electorate. So the idea of the voter suppression tactics uh, in, in, you know, put in place by the Republicans is to you know, limit or you know, restrict or reduce the number of Democratic ballots count and the number of independent ballots cast so that, you know, they can, you know, even though they, they don't have an absolute and outright majority of the votes, by virtue of their voting bloc being largely intact, uh, they can achieve uh, more success. Another of these suppression strategies that has been a very long-term feature and part of the original Southern strategy was uh, called gerrymandering. And in this country, what that means is that the party that wins the majority in a given state and uh, as a result, you know, gains the, the uh, representatives in the state uh, house and state senate and the governorship. Well, every 10 years when our census is done here, as it's going to be done, you know, following the 2020 election, uh, the process begins on what is called reapportionment. And that is the process of analyzing the population of individual states 
and districts and realigning the number of representatives uh, in in Congress and realigning the the registration of that district, be it re Republican or Democrat, based on you know the fact that whoever controls the power in the state gets to draw those lines and determine what the districts are going to be shaped and how many of, of each party are going to be contained in them. So what this has done since the, the late 1960s here in this country is it has worked to guarantee a Republican majority at the state level based on the districts uh, so that Republicans can actually stay you know, in power even when you know the the numerics of Democrats versus Republicans in the state might actually outweigh uh, the Republican presence, uh, what this means is that you know uh, that a a state with a substantial number of Democratic voters will actually be represented in Congress by a Republican Congressperson uh, simply based on how many Republican districts are drawn versus how many Democratic districts are drawn. And, and that's a simplified view. Uh, I, I urge you to you know, go online and, and do some, some digging and some research and look up gerrymandering in the United States and see exactly how that has played out over the last uh, 55 years or so here in this country. Um, and that kind of brings us you know, very generally to the latest, uh, again, broad daylight uh, hijack of the electoral process here in this country. And you've, you've no doubt heard about it in the news. It's, it's been all over the news for you know, the last four or five weeks uh, particularly, but as an ongoing basis for a little bit longer than that. And that is the, the uh, effect and, and use of the Postal Service uh, for delivering absentee and mail-in ballots uh, in light of the fact that you know we are on a lockdown or, or on restrictions due to COVID-19 and you know many people in many states do not think that it is a safe thing to do to physically go to a polling place in order to cast their ballot so there has been a lot of pressure put on to expand mail-in voting uh, in this country uh, right now, there are a handful of states that have been doing this for a long period of time. And in fact, the majority, I, I believe there are, I heard a news report today, I believe there are seven states that have been using you know, widespread mail-in voting for many, many years with you know, great success and you know, almost negligible instances of, of voter fraud. Uh, and the majority of those, I think four out of the seven, are actually uh, so-called red states that is controlled by Republicans. And they have been using mail-in balloting for many years. And there's been, as I said, negligible numbers of, of fraud uh, committed. And you know, the, the arguments that are being posted that widespread you know, mail-in balloting is going to increase uh, voter fraud and thereby render the election as invalid uh, is a, a new and current claim being, being put out there uh, from the Republican Party uh, in general and from the president in particular. 
Uh, he has been very out front in his disdain for mail-in balloting, as he says it is going to lead to widespread voter fraud. Now, there is no evidence that has been presented over the years that this in, is in fact the case. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, the states in which mail-in balloting has been sort of the, the standard procedure and where, you know, the majority of their ballots come from, I mean, in the numbers in the millions of ballots, uh, have, have had no or negligible uh, reports of voter fraud that have occurred. So, you know, this is, you know, a, another example, and it is something that uh, has been, you know, a recent part of the Southern strategy and the voter suppression playbook. Um, but this new twist now comes where the recently appointed postmaster general here in the United States, a uh, gentleman by the name of Louis DeJoy, uh, who was appointed by Donald Trump uh, solely and primarily, it seems, on the basis that he is a large dollar donor to the Trump campaign and um, has not a great depth of experience in running a postal delivery service, uh, what he has done since coming into office is that he has enacted policies and procedures and changes that are having the impact of slowing down the processing of mail uh, in this country just ahead of the national election where the largest number of ballots are going to be uh, posted by mail. And, you know, that has come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, you know, it, it's clear in articles, you know, coming out in the media that, you know, mail service has been disrupted nationwide in recent weeks due to, you know, a series of factors. Um, while, you know, the United States Postal Service, and just as a note, and, and something to understand here, the United States Postal Service is entirely self-funded. It is not supported uh, financially by the federal government. Uh, it survives solely on the revenue it generates from its services. Um, so, you know, it, it has been, you know, in, in light of competition from other sources, you know, particularly in packages such as FedEx and UPS and DHL and others, that they have had, you know, revenue shortfalls over many, many years, which have created, uh, you know, impacts on how well they can do their service. Yet through all of that, the U.S. Postal Service has maintained a generally, uh, you know, two to four day delivery cycle on, you know, regular mail in this country uh, for, you know, the, the last, you know, 25 years. Um, but, you know, they, they are struggling and, and, you know, the revenues uh, are not keeping pace with the expenses. And this has led, you know, the new postmaster, General Louis DeJoy, to implement some cost-saving measures, including um, shutting down and decommissioning some, some sorting machines that were slated to be uh, cycled out of service based on a 2016 uh, decision by the then Postmaster General in the prior administration. Um, he has, has chosen to expedite that process apparently now, you know, just, you know, six weeks ahead of the November election when, you know, the, the system could see it, its, its largest drain 
due to ballots uh, that that it has seen. Now, I, I do want to say that you know, uh, in, in digging into the facts, here's what I've learned about you know mail volume at the U.S. Postal Service. Um, each year, they process about 8.7 billion uh, pieces of mail, and the the expectation is that the November election may generate as many as 100 to 140,000, uh, I'm sorry, 100 to 140 million uh, pieces of mail, which is a small fraction of their overall volume. And it is something that, you know, in prior election years, they have handled, you know, with relative ease. Um, now, for, for you know, reasons that, that strike of being purely political, this has become an issue uh, of division in, in saying that the post office is going to be overwhelmed by the volume of mail-in ballots and are not going to be able to you know, get the ballot request, ballots requested rather out to the, the population and get the completed ballots back into the election system uh, in time. Now, you know, the, the argument can be made that, you know, again, the number of ballots that we are talking about is a small fraction of the volume of mail that the post office processes on an annual basis. And, you know, it, it, it is not going to be a problem, according to, you know, sources at the top of the United States Postal Service. Um, you know, so, uh, again, you know, it, it, is, it is another example of how uh, the COVID-19 virus has been weaponized into a political tool uh, to impact the the voting process and the electoral process here in this country, and it is something that you know we need to make sure that we are in communication with our elected officials to let them know that you know we are you know a aware of this, b uh, not accepting of this, and c expecting them to take action to to remedy any potential problems that might really be there uh you know in, instead of things that are just rumored to be there uh and you know again it's, it's just part of our being diligent as citizens and voters to make sure that our elected officials are doing what we sent them in to do um you know it it does getting back to the finances the the monetary shortfalls in the post office do pose a threat to the organization, but you know, in, in truth of fact, and, and many sources are reporting this, not as big a threat as the desire by the current administration to privatize the Postal Service, uh, which is kind of a misnomer since you know, it is self-funded, uh, even though it is an arm of the United States government. Uh, it is not funded by taxpayer dollars. Um, but they seek to privatize it much as they did with the prison system here in this country, uh, allowing for the construction and operation of uh, private for-profit prisons uh, under contract to, the, to the, the state and federal governments to, to house and, and take care of incarcerated uh, felons. And that has been also a very problematic system. Um, we can dive into that in another episode downstream. But right now, you know, what it looks like is 
that uh, there could be some impact to the mail system and the advice from experts you know, in, in, in validating and in mail systems uh, really is saying that the best uh, defense against any uh, perceived delays, whether or not they actually materialize, is to get your, your ballot request in early. And you know, as I've said in, in a few episodes, now is not too late uh, to make that request if your state is ready to produce the ballots and send them out. Uh, I would uh, strongly advise to go ahead and put in your request for an absentee ballot. Um, and you know, also you know, get it completed as soon as possible. Double check it to make sure that you know, it is properly filled out and that your signatures are consistent and you know everywhere that it needs to be signed it is signed and that you know all the i's are dotted and the t's are crossed because uh you know the the statistics state that uh you know mismatch signatures and missing information are among the single largest elements of rejected ballots in in the mail-in voting system so you know obviously you know, we can we can demand better performance from our providers, but we need to hold ourselves to the same account to make sure that we are following the instructions and, and completing these these documents properly, correctly, and completely, so that you know it, it minimizes the risk of a ballot being rejected uh, purely for typographical problems. Um, but you know it this has become a very big and heated discussion between Republicans and Democrats uh, in the government uh, all up and down the line, both federal and state level. And, you know, there, there is much debate and discussion. Uh, there has been, you know, offers by the, the Republicans in the Senate to put together a bill uh, t that includes, you know, additional funding for the post office to be distributed through the states to help offset the costs of overtime and any other expenses that are going to be needed in order to process the November ballots. Um, and you know this is being met with objections by the Democrats because they are not looking for a piecemeal solution to you know this problem and tying it to problems with you know getting the stimulus checks out and, and processed, approved and out, as well as, you know, uh, assistance funding for small business and funding for schools that need to reopen and all of these elements. The Republicans are, uh, even though they are saying that they are, you know, in favor of voting on these, you know, individually, there was an interview on CNN um, uh, yesterday, Sunday, uh, where the uh, White House Chief of Staff was saying, you know, the Republicans are perfectly willing to pass these individual bills to address the stimulus checks, to address the uh, so-called PPP plan for small business uh, funding and, and loans, as well as, you know, address monies going to the states for reopening schools and expenses incurred there. And, you know, the, the Republican administration is pointing that the Democrats uh, are, you know, dragging their heels and, and saying they want an all-or-nothing bill. Uh, so, you know, there, there is the usual partisan bickering going on behind that. 
add into the fact that you know the the Senate and House are on leave right now. They're on their August break. Um, side note: they, I want that kind of work schedule. Um, you know, so they're back in their local offices now, and you know, unable to uh, come together to to vote either way without being recalled back to Washington. And, you know, in, there are calls to, to do that. You know, uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, has been called on to bring the House of Representatives back into session. Uh, Mitch McConnell has been called on to, you know, return the senators so that these items can be addressed because there are people, you know, needing their, their financial supplemental monies uh, due to COVID that they're not getting because nobody's home in Washington. Um, you know, and that, that too is, you know, discussion for another show on why is it that, you know, these kind of things are so difficult to get accomplished. But, you know, getting back to the post office, um, one of the things that we need to do as, as we come down to the, the end of our segment here, um, you know, on this show, you know, for, for you guys over in the UK, one of the things that this show will, will frequently, if not always, contain is what I call a call to action. And that is where, based on what we've talked about in the show, I'm, I'm going to recommend some strategies that, you know, we need to take in order to address the issues that are raised. And with regard to this matter of the post office, uh, even though they are not, quote, in, in office right now, they are out of their office, their offices are still staffed, their, their switchboards work, their voicemail works, their email works, so we as the voters in this country, we need to make sure that we are communicating loudly, frequently uh, to our elected officials, both at the federal and state level, that you know, we want action on you know, these elements. We want action uh, to address the issues with the post office. Uh, there is supposed to be a hearing uh, that is, is trying to be organized to bring you know, Louis DeJoy uh, in to answer questions from Congress on the current situation in the post office. We want to make sure that that, that effort uh, actually happens, that that public discussion of what is transpiring with the post office occurs. We also want to make sure that we, we voice our opinions on the lack of closure with the uh, stimulus checks and the supplemental unemployment insurance and the PPP money for small businesses and schools and all of that. So, you know, just because they're, they're not in Washington, um, but not a side note there, if they're not in Washington, that means they are supposed to be in their home districts uh, meeting with local uh, leaders and people. So, you know, I, I'd reach out to their local office and find out when their, their local office hours are uh, get an appointment or, you know, gather a group of friends and show up to make your voices heard. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we keep the pressure on our elected officials of both parties uh, to, to do what we sent them into office to do. Uh, we need to be bipartisan because COVID virus is totally bipartisan. It doesn't care whether it's a Democrat or a Republican that gets sick and dies from this illness. So, you know, there you go. That's what we need to do. Let's make sure that we're, we're getting on our, our J-O-B and getting this done. So, you know, 
that that will be our call to action for this week so as always you know thank you all for listening i do appreciate it comments or questions for the show please send email to the show's email address and that's firedupradio at yahoo.com my name is steve you're listening on wjms.com and also on our new partner doublemintradio.com go to their website so you can like and subscribe to those platforms and as always i appreciate anything that you want to feedback uh, to us here at fired up take care be safe and i will talk to you again in seven days Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.